Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the Word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. We're in Romans. Uh, we're going to be continuing in Romans chapter 15, and, and if you remember, we're going to be kind of finishing up with Romans 15. And last week, we, we talked about God's work being done God's way, and God's work God's way we looked at Paul's ministry. We saw in Paul's life there's aspects of Paul's ministry that we as believers, we need to grab onto because it was these aspects that made Paul's ministry so effective, but they also made Paul's ministry pleasing and honoring to God. That was, you know, it was Paul's ministry, first and foremost, was rooted in grace. God's work, God's way is rooted in God's grace. Then we saw God's work, God's way is rooted in God's gospel so it is the brokenness of paul the 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 emptiness of paul the disgustingness nature of paul that was restored and and transformed by the grace of god that propelled paul to go out in the name of jesus christ to let the world see the gospel that saved him and that they can be saved by it was the gospel of faith alone uh, by grace alone in christ alone and so he went out and proclaimed, so God's work, God's way, God's grace, God's gospel, and then God's power. That as we go out and power and to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit will empower us as he is leading us. See, in the church, in the museum of the saints, what we like to do is come together and we like to conjure up the movement of the spirit and that's not how the spirit ever operated he has a purpose he has a plan he is bringing to the 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 knowledge to the world of sin righteousness of judgment and therefore as we go out into the world to proclaim the gospel message the signs and the wonders that follow the gospel message affirm and validate the message and so if we're not preaching the message and we want to sit comfortably in the museum of the saints then we're not going to see the movement and the power of the spirit because we're not out in the streets we're not we're not allowing for the spirit to affirm anything does that make sense like if we're not preaching the message what is the spirit are going to affirm in our lives in miracles and signs and wonders you see paul's ministry you see peter's ministry you see jesus's ministry it was all the message and the miracles were some random magic tricks they were saying his message is true his purpose is 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 pure and so God's power, God's work, God's way, God's power, and then God's will. And so we looked at these four aspects of Paul's ministry, and we kind of contrasted them with David. Remember David uh, when he was moving the ark, and, and God said, when you move the ark, you've got to move it with the, the Levites. They carry the ark. They, they transport the ark wherever it goes. But David had this bright idea because he saw the Philistines do it. He said, let's, let's take the ark and put it on the ox cart because the Philistines transport it that way so we can transport it that way. And what happened was the ox cart started moving. Everybody's worshiping 30,000 people. 
people worshiping. It was an amazing moment. And then the ox cart shakes and the ark is falling and Uzzah reaches out to grab it and he dies. Okay, completely mood killer, destroys worship. Um, everybody's bummed out about it. But it was that idea that we were trying, that David was trying to do God's work the world's way. And when you do God's work the world's way, it will always breed destruction. And, and this is, I was thinking about it this week, as like, you know, this is where people will stand up and say, yeah, but at least David was doing something. At least he was trying. You know, something is better than nothing. Hear me, guys. That is not true. Listen to this. It is not, something is not always better than, look, my daughter is allergic, she's lactose intolerant, she can't have dairy. If we walk into the house and she is starving and we have nothing left in our house and I have my frozen pizza, and I'm thinking, well, something's better than nothing, she's hungry, and so I give her my pizza. Y'all, that is a dangerous move for me. Because now i got to clean up for the next three or four days blowouts, okay? But, but you guys, something is not always better than nothing. And, 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 but the, ch- the church is called to act. I mean, can I take a tangent real quick? I feel like God's telling me to say something. All right, here's my tangent. We are called to do something. Jesus calls us to be the, sight and the, the salt and light of the world, okay? That's what he says in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the salt and you are the light, okay? And so as the salt, salt's very interesting, y'all. Salt has, is interesting because, you know, if you, you read and, and learn about salt, what you learn is that salt, number one, his main priorities, the salt's main purpose was to preserve. It was to slow down the decay of this world. And so if you read the history of salt, you understand that salt actually, wherever salt was, was available, nations would rise because you could actually transport and export and you can grow crop and you could grow it in abundance. You could take meat and, and you're not just killing and eating as you go. You could actually preserve this food and preserve this and send it and transport and export it. And so wherever salt was, the culture would thrive. Wherever salt wasn't, the culture would, would not even exist. It would be very minimal. And so Jesus says, so as salt, so as the church. That wherever the church is, the culture should be thriving. Wherever the church is, marriages in that culture should be thriving. Wherever the church is, we should see a decrease in drug addiction. We should see a decrease in in all kinds of brokenness and anxieties and depressions and divorces. And we should see a decrease in in the immorality of the nature because the church was preserving, slowing down the decay. So wherever the presence of the church was, there will be life and goodness and and and, and, and provision and growth but Jesus says that but if the salt loses its saltiness what good is it how does a, how does salt lose its saltiness it's diluted some external force dilutes the salt and now the salt is good for nothing and Jesus says if you as my people as my church are saltless are diluted diluted by the what the world. 
If you're deluded by the world, you see, if you start to, to bring in the philosophies of the world, you start to think of marriage the same way the world thinks of marriage. You start to think of community the same way the world thinks of community. You start to think of, uh, of sexuality the same way the world just bring all this stuff in. You start to see pride as a good thing rather than walking in humility. You start to carry on the, the philosophies and the ideologies of the world and you bring it in. And, and guys, here's the thing. You have lost your purpose because you can no longer preserve what good is the church if it looks like the world what good what does the world what does the church provide the world when it looks just like the world what do we offer them community i mean crossfit offers community so i hear we offer them entertainment i mean you know this is going to break somebody's heart but i could get a better entertainment at a justin bieber concert than i can at church and what's sad about that, this is what's sad about this, and, and I remember this growing up as a kid. I remember, you know, going to conferences and, and, and going to seminars and, and hearing this kind of mentality is we see that. We see Justin Bieber, J-Lo, they're killing it. That's what the entertainment, they're, they're, they're young people, people are attracted to this. And so rather than realizing our purpose is not entertainment, our purpose is not this, instead of realizing, okay, that's, that's them. We're going to do what God's called us to do. We, see, we look at them and say, okay, what are they doing? How can we copy them? And so we start to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in the church building to try to compete with J-Lo. When, is we, when have we got to the point where the church is competing with Jennifer Lopez? Ain't nobody on our stage going to have a booty like J-Lo. It ain't going to happen. Like, why are we comp competing with the world? Jesus says, man, when you as the salt lose your ability to preserve, here's what he says. You are good for nothing, not even to throw on the manure pile. So Jesus says, look, there's a pile of poo here. And this pile of poo has redeeming qualities. I could take this poo and I could throw it in my garden and it will be fertilizer. But when the world, when the church is so diluted with the world, if I take the church, if I take this salt that is diluted, that's no good for preserving, and I throw it on the manure, it is going to ruin my poo. Jesus' words are harsh. He looks at the church. He says, look, if I had a pile of cow poo sitting right there and you were standing on it, I would say, dude, get off. You're ruining my poo. You ruin poo. That's what Jesus says. And so we were called to be the preservative. But then he goes into this now. We were called to be the light. Now, here's the good thing. Here's the cool thing. To be the light he says, let your light shine in such a way that your good works, or let your light shine that your good works, light shine in such a way that your good works, people see your good works, that's what he says. See your good works, and they bring, it brings glory to God. They glorify the God, the Father who is in heaven. So now Jesus says, not only are we supposed to be preservative, be morally pure, to not look like the world, but now we are supposed to engage the darkness to go out in good works, to actually be the hands and feet. So not just sit in our museum of the saints, but go out and be as a light in our good works. And so we are called. Here's the dilemma that we face and we, we, we battle in this world. It's either as church we say, I don't want to do God's work the world's way, so I'm going to sit back and not do anything, and I'm just going to pray. 
Those are our two options. Either I sit in the church and just pray about things, or I go out and do God's work the world's way. And so we have those one of two options that we have to fall into. Either we do nothing and criticize that, or we do that and, and we're engaging in God's work the world's way. And that's dangerous. And so those are our two options. But Jesus says, no, you have another option. You could be the light. Oh, man, I'm going to go on another tangent. Okay, here, here this. We may, not get, we may not get to the sermon this morning, y'all. Um, uh, everybody in this world knows truth. Everybody in this world is made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. We are created beings. We have God's hand. Romans chapter 1 says, the law of God was written on every man's heart. So you know right and wrong. You know what wicked is. You know the, the evil and good. You know these things. We all know these things. In fact, Romans chapter 3, Paul says, look, the Gentiles who do that which is, is uh, do that, the Gentiles who follow the law become a law in and of themselves. The Gentiles who do not have the law yet follow the law become a law in and of themselves. Why? Because they are obeying the internal law that God wrote on their heart without even knowing it. So they're following the law. They're showing that the handprint. But see, here's the thing. We as a people in, the, in our world, we're declaring there is no God. Okay, this is where it gets sketchy. There is no God. We are created. We're all matter in motion, time and chance. We're all protoplasm turned philosopher. We're stardust just bumping into each other. There is no God in this universe. So we can declare that with our mouth, but with our flesh, with our body, with every other aspect of us, we are an arrow pointing to a creator. We are an arrow pointing to to God. And so you can stand up. So I don't care how much you teach it in schools. I don't know how much you, you raise your kids up to believe your matter, emotion, time, and chance. You declare it with everything else. And here's what I mean by that. If there is no God, if there is no creator, if we are matter, in motion, time, and chance, protoplasm to philosopher, nothing holding us no purpose, no in, uh, intrinsic value, then where does the sense of justice come from? Where's there room of, for justice in a system like that? Or better yet, where does right and wrong come from? Where, where does that even come from? Like, who is the, because you're just stardust fizzing, and so your brain fizz is different than my brain fizz, and where does all fizzing out as stardust, brain fizzing. So who is determined? Who is determining that there is a right or wrong, an objective truth, an objective right or wrong standard? It's all subjective. Your brain fizz says this is right. My brain fizz says this is wrong. Who's to say that it's wrong for me to hit dawn, but it's okay for me to start beating this thing who's just matter? It hasn't evolved into me. It's less evolved stardust. Who's to say? You see, the best that we could come up with is a collective consensus. That's the philosophy. The, the best that we can come up with is collectively say, this is right. And if enough of us stardust fizz agree that this is right, then it's right. If enough of us stardust fizz say this is wrong, then it's wrong. So that's the best that we can come up with is collective consensus. Here, here, here lies the problem. We used to say that, ra that, that, that racism was okay collectively. It was collectively okay. So if it's a collectively good, then, and it's collectively wrong now, has it always been wrong? 
You can't say. It's just wrong now. You can't, you have no authority in your philosophy to say that it was wrong then because they collectively said it was wrong, right? There was a time in our world where, the, where, where every nation on this planet, it's not an American thing, that said collectively consensus says slavery was good. Was it good? Who, who says it's not good? We say it's not good now. In a 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now, we may say it's good again collectively and here's another problem that we have with this is in your in your striving for trying to oppress or trying to release people from oppression and release people from from uh, inequalities you are going against your own prophet darwin listen to me you're going against your own prophet darwin who says survival of the fittest only the strong will survive that which can procreate will survive and so now you're telling me you're standing up in all your genius in your stardust fizz you're stepping up and saying i believe i'm matter in motion there is no universal there's no morality survival of fittest all of these things that which can procreate will survive and you're out there picketing and protesting homosexual rights and that they are natural and beautiful and good and you're saying that on the backs of that which can procreate will survive does it make sense because look if you're gonna stand on your philosophy then you got to get out there and say this is a blip in our race this is a misunderstanding this is a some sort of issue in our race that will eventually be weeded out over time through through, through time and chance and through survival of the fittest because they cannot procreate they will, therefore they will not survive this should be pulled out of our gene pool that's your philosophy. And you're fighting for oppression. Darwin says survival, the strong will survive. Survival of the fittest. Why are you caring if you believe that there is a race, a gender? Well, not a gender. We need each other. But a race that is oppressed, that is weak, that needs to be lifted up and protected. You're going against Darwin. Because that is a weak demographic that is a weak people that we should not care about because as we get stronger they will die off and we will we will become stronger and procreate it's about being consistent with your philosophy because that's where your philosophy leads you at least hitler had enough guts to live it out why do you care why do we care because I don't care what you say with your mouth. In you, you know that you're created by God. You know that every one of us has intrinsic value given to us by God. You know that all of these things are wrong because it is written on our hearts that is wrong. Abortion is not right because we collectively said it's right. No, God said it's wrong. Slavery is not right or wrong because we say it's wrong. It's written on our hearts that it's wrong. We are com completely created in the image of the Imago Dei. And so therefore we know it's right and wrong. Now, but herein lies the problem. While the world knows what's right and wrong so they can see darkness. They can see the darkness. They have denied their creator and therefore they denied the truth of the creator. And therefore they do not have the light to, to penetrate darkness. So the best the world can come up with is acknowledge the darkness in the world and fight against the darkness. Let me ask you something. 
when we walk into a room, when you walk into a room, do you, do you uh, and it's dark, do you walk in and start screaming? Like, get out of here, darkness, you skip, you know, and start kicking at the darkness, or baseball bat, or get guns, and I'm, get out of here, darkness, shoot, or get picket signs and say, you know, we don't want darkness, and we start marching around the room, no more darkness, you know, we don't like you, darkness. Is that what we do when you walk into a dark room? No, when you walk into a dark room, you turn on the light. It's gone. The light penetrates the darkness. See, the world doesn't have the light, and so the world, all they can come up with is they see the darkness, and so we got to create uh, uh, philosophies and ideologies and, and different things and protests and anger and rage and fight. we got to scream against the darkness. we got to attack the darkness. They're not fighting for anything because they don't bring anything. They're just fighting against something, and so what we see is this option where the church either steps back and just sits quietly and prays, or we jump into the, the, the lunacy, and so many Christians look crazy because they're out there kicking and screaming and skidding the darkness we we've fallen into the, the god's work the world's way and we are just looking like crazy fools and screaming and kicking at darkness and it's not just what's going on around here we have done this for years we kick and scream at addiction we kick and scream at oppression we kick and scream at our marriages that are falling apart. We kick and scream at the brokenness of the world. This is just another thing that we're all kicking and screaming at, fighting and protesting, picketing, fighting off the darkness. The Bible says, church, you are the light, which means that when you walk into a room, the light, the darkness flees. we got to stop kicking at the darkness and bring in the light, guys. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that the Bible is absolutely true? Do you believe it's all sufficient? Do you believe it's just true for you? Or do you believe it's true for all people, whether they acknowledge it as truth? Do you believe it's all sufficient just for you? Or is it all sufficient for the Muslim? Is it all sufficient for the Hindu? Is it all sufficient for the, the atheist? Is it all sufficient for the agnostic? That's a question we got to wrestle with. Because if you truly believe it's all sufficient for all people at all times, at all ages, all demographics, all races, all things. If you believe it's all sufficient, all truth, then what we have in our hands is power, authority, and light. And why are we cowarding thinking that we got to know white fragility and we got to read the unholy canon that they're throwing at us? Why do we feel like we got to have other external things other than the word of God that is going to allow us to penetrate the darkness with light because we have everything we need with light let your good works let us penetrate homelessness let us penetrate broken marriages let us penetrate addictions of drugs let us penetrate racism with the light of the gospel stop fighting the darkness Stop screaming at the darkness. Stop attaching yourself to the world's methods who all they can do is kick and scream. When we have the truth that can set us free. All right, that's my tangent. I mean, I don't know. 
You want, y'all want me to finish up 15 real quick? Or you want me to stop? Enoch. Let's talk about Enoch, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Um, let me just finish out, because this kind of matches in what we're talking about, really, um, in Romans 15. I'm just going to finish it out, because it's very quick, it's very easy, um, and it's, it's, a, it's an attachment onto what we've been talking about, God's work, God's way, and, and there's three aspects of Paul's ministry that we see, and it all has to do with us going out, us being, us doing, okay? Uh, Romans 15, verse 22, it says this, let me just read this, for this reason I have often prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have, con- I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on the way by there when I first enjoyed your company for a while. Now, when I read that this week, I was blown away because here's the deal, Paul was about 50 years old when he wrote this. He was converted about 30 years old. He's been going strong for 20 years for the gospel. 20 years going strong. And this wasn't a normal ministry. Like, I've been, I was saved, and I kind of got into a church, called to be a pastor, you know, had my own office, AC, internet, kind of just chilling and, and doing some work. It was tough, but it wasn't. No, Paul was the dude that was shipper. I mean, he was just out there being beaten, being ridiculed, being mocked, in and out of uh, prison, in and out of villages, just this, this going for it. Paul was that dude. And, and so he comes to this point 20 years later of doing all of this, and he's like, dude, I'm not done. I'm ready. I'm about to finish up in Corinthians because he's in Corinth, or he's, in, he's this is in Corinth. I'm about to finish up in the air, finish up in the air of Corinth, and I'm going to go on. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Then I'm going to go to Spain, and I'm going to preach the gospel in Spain. And guys, I look at that. I'm like, Paul, you could have easily, and nobody would have blamed you. Said, you know what? I'm about fifty. I've been working hard. I've been busting it. And you know what? I think I'm just going to sit back. This is a this is a young man's game. I've raised up Titus. I've raised up Timothy. Let them go out and then be bold for the Lord. I've done my job. I've been it all. I'm going to chill. I'm going to go on the island of Patmos and chill with John. And we're just going to have martinis. I mean, it's just going to be me. You know, Paul could have easily done that and say, you know what? I ran the race. It's time for me to settle down because that's what we do. We work hard for a short period of time. And then we get to this place, the golden years of our lives, where we kind of set back and relax and, and kind of retire and get in that mode. And guys, there's nothing wrong with retirement. Like, look, if you work all your life and, and, and some guy want, and some people want to pay you money to not work, don't be a fool. Take it, okay? Like, I mean, come on. Uh, you know, and so there's nothing wrong with the retirement. But what I'm noticing with the older generation, and hear this, this is a heart that loves the older generation. If you know me, you know I would rather be with you because y'all ain't fools. And these young people my age are crazy, okay? <laughs> I love the older generation because they have wisdom, they have maturity, they have consistency. But what I am going to say of what I've noticed is that it seems like the older we get, the less zeal we have for the gospel, the less passion we have for the gospel, this, this, this earnesty of getting the gospel out and going out to the people and preaching to people and zeal for people and going after it. The older we get, we kind of calm down, whether it's because prayers weren't answered or you get you know, older and the world says, you know, whatever, or you, you've allowed more of the world into your life or something has taken place. But here's the thing, man. Young people need to see older people, the older generation who have perseverance and, and steadfastness in the gospel that they have not slowed down, that it is possible 
impossible to start in faith and end in faith. Start in boldness and end in boldness. Because what we're seeing right now is just the slowing down as the older you get, which doesn't make sense to me. I don't see it in Scripture, and it doesn't make sense. Because the older we get, the closer we are to seeing Jesus. I mean, we are all one breath away from seeing Jesus. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, I, y'all don't need me to tell you that. Y'all have a mirror to tell you that. And let's be real. We are closer to seeing Jesus every day. So does it really make sense that the older we get, the, less calm, the more calm we get? The closer we get to Jesus, the less zeal we have for Jesus? The closer, it should make sense that as we're going, man, we're picking up steam, we're picking up energy, we're picking up zeal because we're about to see Jesus, y'all. We're about to fall on our face before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega. I'm about to see my Creator. I'm ready to finish this race strong with endurance. And so if we're going to do God's work, God's way, we've got to have endurance. Y'all, where are my Caleb's? Caleb, who stood at Hebron when he was 85 years old, he said, man, 45 years ago, I stood with the, t- the 12 spies, and me and Joshua, we went out there, and we saw the land. We saw the honey. We saw the milk. We saw the, bl- the glory that God promised us, and we saw these big dudes, but I knew God could beat them. The 10 spies, they said, uh-uh, we can't do it. So God said, 40 years, y'all are going to all die off. The next generation is going to come, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they have faith. 85 years old, 45 years later, Caleb standing on the army line. And he said, I was, I was 40 years old, and God promised me, God promised, I knew he would come through. Now, 45 years later, I'm just as strong as I was back then for coming, for going. And you could just see this 85-year-old man with a sword in his hand. He says, let's go to win this battle because God promised me this land. He's going to give us this land. Let's fight. Where are the Caleb's? Now, hear this. I'm not blaming the younger generation's issues on the older generation. Y'all younger generation, y'all messed up. We've lost all perseverance. We've lost all consistency. We've lost all steadfastness. Like, look, if something doesn't work, and if, a, if a video doesn't download in 10 seconds, we're done. You know, if, 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 the, if racism doesn't stop after two protests and four hashtags, we're done. And, you know, when God calls us to ministry, we jump into these ministries and we all in, but we're looking for the exciting, the new. And so I start a Bible study and it starts off with 20 people and I'm so excited. This is exciting. God's going to do something. And then the next week it's like 10, the next week it's like four. And you're like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. It's, not, it's boring. It's not fun. It's not working. And we quit after two weeks of, and, and, and we're missing the good stuff because it's a faithful endurance that we get to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the life is changed in our lives and we're missing it because we're, we get bored or because it's not exciting and we've lost all endurance god work god's way has to be rooted in faithful endurance we're missing it many of us do it in our own personal lives how many of us started one week after church maybe you got this week i'm going to start reading the bible every day every day and you go buy a new bible you got 20 bibles but you go buy a new one because you're going to start new and this week, I'm going to have a prayer life, and I'm going to have a, all my disciplines in order. And every day, I'm going to discipline myself and do this, this, this. I'm going to fast once a week. And after four days, 
ah, it didn't work out the way I thought it was. It didn't change my life the way. I got other things going on. We just kind of no patience, no, no perseverance. But we look at Paul's life and, man, he, he ran the race. And he kept running. In fact, this is what the last words that Paul said before he died. Second Timothy, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I, I, and in the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also those who have appeared. Um, this, is, okay, this thought just came to my mind. I was just thinking, one day we're going to stand before Paul and Peter and James and John, Stephen, Clement, Polycarp, the prophets that have just sold out for Jesus, the gospel, living for God, persevered all their life, and eventually all died for the gospel. And they're gonna, I, I could just imagine this war story scenario. Uh, scenario. Like, Paul is like, man, Stephen, uh, you know, Peter, you remember that time when you were sitting there and they were getting ready to persecute you and hang you on the cross? And you're like, uh-uh, I ain't gonna be coming, gonna be put on the cross. Put me upside down because I will not die the same way Jesus died. I'm not worthy of that. And, and then everybody's like, yeah, Paul, you remember that time when you were beaten? And we thought you were dead. We thought you were dead, but you weren't. We pulled you out and you were alive and God saved you. And we said, don't go back out there. And Paul, yeah, I'm going to go in boldness. Remember that time, Stephen, when you were stoned? And Paul's like, yeah, my bad. I was there. Uh, and it's just that whole moment where there's these war stories. And I'm standing before Peter, James, John, Stephen, all these war stories. And I'm like, yeah, there's a time when I went to Walmart and somebody took my spot. And I didn't get, I didn't get mad. <laughs> I mean, it's really, like, like, I mean, I'm saying that you got to be a martyr and you got to be like, that, that righteousness is determined by how much you're going to be die for Christ. I'm not saying that, don't hear that, but I'm saying, man, when we, when we are full in, sold out, persevere through all of this, man, we're going to see, and we've lost that perseverance, therefore we're losing the the effectiveness of what God has in store for us. But Paul also, God's way, God's work, God's work, God's way is in perseverance, but it's also availability through action. Hear this. I'm just going to run through these real quick and then we're done. Okay, I'm sorry for running late. Um, but now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints from Macedonia to Achaia, have been pl uh, pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to the, also to the material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on the first fruits of theirs, I will go on by way of Spain. I will also, and I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And so Paul, through his life of perseverance, Paul set plans. Hear this. Paul had plans. But he had plans that were rooted in the will revealed by God. What I mean by that is like God said, I have a heart for the poor. And so Paul had plans to take care of the poor. Paul, uh, God said, I have a heart that my gospel gets out to all nations. So Paul had a plan that was going to take the gospel out to all nations to Spain. Paul, God said, I have a heart for, for unity of the church and building one another up in the church. And so I'm going to stop by Rome. But also unity in the church of giving this offering to the church of Jerusalem. Because at this point, there was a danger of the Jewish church and the Gentile church splitting. And so Paul is taking all this Jewish Gentile offering to the Jewish people and saying, look, we are one church. So Paul had a plan based on the revealed will of God. You hear me? He understood God's heart. He understood what God's wanting for his people. And so he set a plan. 
And this is where we mess up, y'all. Because Paul acted on this set plan. We mess up here because we expect the burning bush. Right? Like, I was saying this to the, the team this morning, is that we, we often do not act in the name of praying. We blanket our fear under the title, I'm praying about it. We, dang, we, 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 we blanket our, our laziness oftentimes under the title, I'm just praying about it. God never gave it me a vision. He never, because very rare does God show up in a burning bush and tell you what, in fact, I can only think of one time. Okay, show up in a burning bush and say, you are going to go here and here's your resources and this is what you do. If they say this, you say this and here's how you're going to do it. Here's how you're going to accomplish it. Here's the time frame. God doesn't work like that. Here's how God works is that he gives you a word, whether it is through the spirit or whether it is on the word. And if it's in the Bible, if it's in the spirit, it must agree with the Bible. If it doesn't agree with the Bible, it is not of God. I don't want to get into all that, but just know that. But God gives you a word of his revelation and you start moving. And God guides. So when I got called to be a pastor of this church, I got called on the mountains of England. And I felt God was just saying, you were going to call. I want you to be a pastor. I didn't know. Here's my exact words. Well, not exactly. I can't say what I said on church. But I said, okay, God. Out loud, I said, okay, God. But I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So you've got to take over. So I came back. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do something. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to go to school. I hear that's important. So I started going to school. I went to school, and, and year after year, semester after semester, I'm like, nothing's happening. So I'm like, okay, God, what are you doing? Uh, well, maybe you want me to start a Bible study. So I'll start a Bible study. I don't know where the church is going to be. I thought it was going to be England. I never wanted to plant a church here. just wanted to be in England because I was like, man, those are my people. They all sound smart. And, and so... I get here, and I start this Bible study, and it starts blowing up, and start, it starts being really well with God's blessing in many areas. And so then, but then I have this call. I feel like God called me to quit the church that I was working at because I was working as a worship leader, and, and it was just, I just felt this call. Savannah and I couldn't explain it. It was just time for me to step down. I had no plans. I went to be a waiter at a, at a, at a, a restaurant, and all of this, God was working in my obedience, and I go to this guy to try to find a place for this Bible study. He says, you can't meet here on Tuesday nights, but you can meet here on Sunday mornings. And I said, that's not a Bible study. That's a church. I can't do that. And then I'm like, well, Why? So God started opening doors. But it was through actively avail availability through activity. You see, here's how it works. You open the Bible. I was saying this this morning. You open the Bible. The Bible says, love the poor. Serve the poor. Clothe the naked. Feed the hungry. Okay, God, I don't know. I don't have a ministry. I don't have a resources. But you say this. So I'm going to start going. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to set a plan. Okay, today I'm going to go here. I'm going to set a plan to feed them. And then I'm going to try to go talk to this person to talk, see if I can work something out here. I'm going to set a plan based off of your word. And then as I go, God moves through my availability. And before you know it, 10 years from now, as you move in availability, you could be 10 years from now be doing a ministry that you never even thought of. But it started with, okay, God, you said go. I'm going to go. God says, husbands, love your wives. But my marriage is so 
broken and, and I, there's no hope for it. But God, you say love my wife, so I'm just going to try to do something. And I'm going to start throwing out some things. I'm going to start texting her maybe. I'm going to start praying over her maybe. I just want to do something in, step, in line with your will because you said it. So I'm going to set a plan. Every day I'm going to do this. So every weekend I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to set my plan according to the will that you've revealed to me. And who knows, in five years, you may be standing teaching a marriage counseling seminar showing people how powerful God is in a broken marriage that you two are now one and able to teach others who are in the same place you are now. But it started with you making yourself available through activity. Making yourself available through obedience. We love the phrase, Jesus, take the wheel. I was telling the team this morning, Jesus, take the wheel. It doesn't take much faith to give Jesus the wheel of a parked car doesn't I let Octavia drive all the time when my car is parked I even let my wife drive all the time when the car is parked what takes faith is God says do this I don't have the resources I don't know what's going to happen I don't really have a full-on plan but God says do it Jesus take the wheel I'm going and God will move but then finally here's where we're going to end okay sorry guys here's where we're going to end God's work, God's way has to be rooted in endurance. It's got to be rooted in activity and obedience. And then finally, it's got to be rooted in prayer. Listen to this. Now I urge you, brethren, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in prayers to God for me that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and then that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now that the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul moves in availability and then he lifts it up in prayer. And here's the thing about lifting something up in prayer. You're not saying, God, just bless my plans. God, bless my day. When you say, God, bless my plans or God, bless my day, you are ultimately saying, hear this, you're ultimately saying that, God, I want the greatest blessing on my day. Don't miss this. God, bless my plans is God, give me the greatest blessings within my day or with even within this plans which means that god you change my plans to bring the greatest blessing for the kingdom god bless my day means that i have planned some things today to do but lord i don't know more than i, I know far less than you do paul says Pray for my plans. Pray for my will. Pray that I hear them go to Jerusalem. Pray that these fools don't mess with me in Judea, that they just leave me alone. I've been beaten up enough by them. Leave me alone. I want to give my offering to the Gentiles or to the Jewish church, and I want to move on to Spain and just pray for my plans. But ultimately, Paul, within this encompassing, is God, bless my plans, which therefore direct my plans, therefore change my plans when you have something better. You see, many of us miss what God is doing because we're doing God's ministry. Many of us are too busy doing God's ministry, to, and we miss what God is actually doing. Many of us miss what God is doing in our lives because we're too busy with our plans. We're set in stone. We've got to do it. I can't stop by him. I'm, I'm on my way to church. I'm running late. I can't, I can't answer this phone call. I'm just too busy. Or I'm too tired. I can't, I can't do this. I just, it's not the way I saw my life going. I can't move there because it's not my plans. It's not. And guys, here's the thing. Here's my biggest fear in life. And I've told Savannah this all the time and she gets driven crazy by it. Is my biggest fear is to have an explainable life. 
My biggest fear for my life is to have an explainable one. And when we have our plans, we execute our plans, guess what? We can explain our life because we planned it, we executed it. And when we get so consumed with our plans that we miss what God is doing. See, here's the thing. Paul said, pray for all these things. Here's my plan. Here's what happened. Paul goes to Jerusalem. He gives the offering. These Jewish people uprise in anger. One guy's like splitting his shirt. Another guy's like, I will not eat or sleep until Paul dies. And, and they're fighting. And they're going after Paul. The Roman guard's like, whoa. And they pull Paul back. Like, You're going to die, bro. And Paul stamps up and he speaks Hebrew, telling all these things to the, the, the Jewish people. And, and the, the Roman guards don't speak Hebrew. So they're like, you know, don't know what Paul's saying. And they get even more angry. And they pull Paul back and like, bro, you say something about their mama. And it's like, what's happening here? They're, they're just outraged. And, and so finally, Paul gets arrested and they take him to Caesarea. That wasn't in Paul's plans. He stayed in Caesarea, not for a week, not for two weeks. For a year, Paul was in Caesarea. Finally, they ship him on a boat. They send him on a boat to go to Rome as a prisoner. And on the way to Rome, the ship goes down by a storm, and they get onto this island. And when they're on the island, he gets bit by a snake that should have killed him. In fact, the islanders were like, yeah, he's dead. We saw the snake that bit him. He's dead. So eventually, they finally get up the way to Rome three years later. He gets to Rome. His plans came true. But he gets to Rome in shackles and chains and put in prison for two years. Why? Because God had a different plan. See, that's a horrible plan. But listen to this. Paul gets to Jerusalem. He professes the gospel. He declares. He stands up before people. And if you know Paul, man, Paul just walked in power and he spoke. He was bold for the gospel. Now, it doesn't say this in the book of Acts, but what I could just imagine if Paul is that bold in declaring and they're that outraged, there's probably somebody in that room, somebody in that crowd that heard truth. That heard truth. Doesn't say it, but follow Paul's pattern. He gets shipped to Caesarea and then he gets put on a boat and on the boat, it says that when the ship was going down, there were, there were um, all the prisoners were going to be executed because they didn't want him to go out and run away and get free. And it says that there's a centurion on the boat that said, for the sake of Paul, we are going to save all the prisoners. Why was the centurion looking out for Paul? He doesn't say. But if we know Paul's ministry, whether he was in prison, whether he was free, whatever happened, Paul was preaching the gospel. I... I believe that this centurion came to faith and saw in this Paul and protected Paul from being put to death. They get shipwrecked. They get put on the island. He's down, down for the count by a snake bite, and all the islanders see this, and they're like, dude, this dude is a murderer because God's judging him. He survived. They freak out, and then what happens here on the island? This wasn't a part of Paul's plan. This wasn't a part. A revival took place in this island. They're bringing all their sick, all their lame to Paul as he's healing them. He gets to Rome. His plan was only to stay in Rome for a couple weeks, a couple months. He gets to Rome for two years, and he writes some of the greatest letters that we have. Philemon, Ephesians, uh, Ephesians. Did Paul write Ephesians? Yeah, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We have the great, if Paul wasn't in prison, we would have, I know how to get along in humble means. I know how to get, a, get along and live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and being hungry. I have abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Listen, hear this. 
If God didn't interrupt Paul's ministry, Paul's life, Paul's plans, we would not have seven chapters of Acts. We'd be missing seven chapters of the book. Here's how Acts would have ended. Paul went to Jerusalem. He was protected. He gave his offering. He made his way to Rome, stayed there a couple months, eventually made his way to Spain, preached the gospel, the end. That's the book of Acts if God didn't interrupt. Seven chapters. Thanks be to God that we have seven extra chapters in the book of Acts. Let me ask you this question. How many chapters are in your life that if God didn't interrupt would not be there? How many chapters do we have in our life that we weren't planning for, that God changed, that God designed, that God orchestrated? Here's a harder question. How many chapters are missing from our lives because we did not allow God to interrupt our lives? How many conversations, how many relationships, how many, how many people could have been, had come to the living salvation of Jesus Christ? That's my baby. Just kick her. Uh, how many chapters are we missing because we did not let Jesus interrupt? Okay, so here's my call. If all of that, two sermons mixed into one, we're called to be the light to this world, to do good works. But the key word is do in persistence. This is not one day, today we're going to go out this week and then we're going to kind of get back in our rhythm and routine. This is I'm, I'm committing to going and going and going, running the race. I'm going to set a plan according to the will of God. I'm going to make myself available through activity and obedience. And then I'm going to pray and pray and pray and let God take it over. So let us be found doing good work so that the world can see the church and give glory to God. Okay? That's it. Okay, sorry, guys. Once again, I, I know that's long. I know it's hot in here. I'm sweating. So can't imagine y'all. But um, let's pray. And um, we're not going to have a closing song. I just want to pray with that in our mind. And I want us to go out, and I want us to walk in boldness. Um, I want us to go out and, and walk in the word. And trust that the word of God is all sufficient, all powerful for all people. That if we're going to go out and make a change in this world, in the brokenness of this world, we've got to take the word of truth. And we've got to walk in boldness and go and do. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this, this people. Father, I pray that your word bathes over our hearts and our lives. And I pray that we are found being not only obedient, but diligent in seeking your your kingdom, that we are found when you return, Lord, or when we come to you, Lord, that we are found faithful, as Paul says, that I ran the race, I, I, I fought the fight, and Father, let us be found doing this, that all that we do, God's work, your work, be done rooted in your grace, be done rooted in your gospel, be done rooted in your power, be done rooted in your will, be done with perseverance, be done with obedience, and be done with prayer. Well, let us be bold for you. Let us be bold for you. Holy Spirit, move. Move in our lives as we go out in this boldness. Affirm our message. Affirm our message. Affirm our message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you. 
It's in Jesus that we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray this in your name. Amen.